Welcome to Live at the Nutbar. You're here with JB and David Cunningham. Today we're up to episode 26, JB. Yeah. And, uh, hey, today, big news if you're into Reserve Bank <laughs> stuff. Most of us aren't probably interested, so we'll dispel the detail and give you the big facts. But today the Reserve Bank released the Financial Stability Report, which is something they do every six months. So firstly, before we get into the detail, what's the purpose of the Financial Stability Report, or FSR? I guess it's the Reserve Bank's uh, view on exactly that, right? The financial stability of, of banks and the broader economy. Right. They'll presumably come up with generally it's all okay because if it wasn't, <laughs> you'd probably have heard about it by now. Well, I would hope so. But look, I guess they, um, it's quite thematic, right? Mm. So they have sort of topics that they're keeping a quite close eye on. They actually go out and consult quite widely when they're pulling together this report. Oh, does that mean they talk to you? Uh, they do talk to me, actually, <laughs> funnily <get> enough. Um, <laughs> but they do go out and consult quite widely, which I like. I think it's great because there's a lot of input that goes into this report. So mm. of all of the things that come out, this is the one I actually look forward to the most. Mm. Mm. To see if what you said uh, they agree with. <laughs> <laughs> well, but also because I just think it's the one report that comes out where I think you get a really deep thinking around what they're seeing going on in the economy and it really informs I think what they do through things mm. like the OCR and the monetary policy statement. Yeah hey so what sort of things do you talk about or do they ask you when you meet with oh, them? Oh look the mortgage market, yeah. um, what we're seeing, whether we're seeing distress out there, what we see happening on the ground, maybe certain topics like construction, um, there's been a fair bit of discussion lately around construction risk and what's happening with developers uh, and buying off plan, which is an area that literally dies when you've got falling house prices, which then sort of flows through into the developer market. So those sort of topics, talked a bit about DTIs, which is debt to income ratios, whether or not you know that's a, a good thing, what the impact would be, how we would perceive as brokers the impact would be on the market. Mm. So quite wide ranging. It's very much one way, but just ask lots of questions and you mm. give them your perspective, right? Yeah. So do you know what other sort of people they talk to? It's at the back of the report. Oh, okay. Lots and lots of people. And that's one of the things that I really respect and like, not only with this report, but the, the RBNZ does go out and does make a concerted effort to get input into this stuff. Mm. Okay. So report out today. What were the sort of headline things that you took out of it? The one thing I'd sort of say is, you know, just like most things, they do tend to be a little bit backward looking because mm. they're reliant on historic data. Mm. And, you know, our frustration for ages has been inflation data in New Zealand so backward looking. Mm. And uh, same with things like GDP and stuff, right? You know, mm. It's always mm. like, oh, three this is what it was later. like three yeah. months ago. And <laughs> one of the things that really frustrates me is we always talk about annual. I guess last quarter isn't a trend. You know, one sunny day doesn't make a summer, as we know in Auckland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. They've been promising us nice weather this year. It hasn't started that way. But, um, you know, one quarter doesn't mean a hell of a lot. But the problem with annualised numbers is you go back a year mm. and the world's moving so fast at the moment that I, I kind of feel mm. a year's meaningless. I suppose, well. I suppose the most useful reads are what happened compared to what people were expecting to happen. In yeah. fact, we had that today, wasn't it? The unemployment number up. Yep. So the expected increase in unemployment was from 3.6 to 3.8. It came in at 3.9. So that was higher unemployment compared to what the Reserve Bank was forecasting and most economists were forecasting. So, you know, good example of, you know, what, what does that say effectively? I guess it says the economy is a bit weaker 
than expected and, and exactly what the Reserve Bank said would happen would happen. Why don't we finish that conversation we'll sit and we'll go back to the FSR, Financial yeah. Stability Report. I mean, what was interesting, we've still had, as we've talked about a few times, a couple of banks, ANZ and Westpac's economists, still calling for a hike in February, another increase in interest rates in February. What was interesting in ANZ's sort of commentary on the unemployment rate today, they said previously we had a Feb hike penciled in, today that pencil in was lighter. <laughs> in other words, borrow is now pencil. Um, and their comment was either there'll be a later kickoff in interest rates going up further, the OCA going up further, or no further rate hikes if the ducks line up. Feels to me like the ducks are lining up, JB. Wow, yeah, and we've been saying that for a while, right? These guys have been stubbornly slow to pull back their forecasts. Mm. I mean, all we can deal with, we don't sit there and analyse data all day, or you do, but I don't. All, all I go off is just what I'm seeing yeah. out there in the road, right? Mm. And mm. I just feel that what's been coming out of the bank economists has been disconnected from the reality mm. that I'm seeing on the ground. Well, well, some. I've sort of found Kiwi Bank probably the closest yeah. to the ground, which oh, is definitely. probably because they are closest <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> Uh, but um, yeah, having so tying that back into the financial stability report, one sort of thing the Reserve Bank covers in there is the effect of mortgage rate, and they sort of highlight that so far two thirds of mortgages have repriced from really low levels to higher levels. So there's another third to go, in other words, and that the effect of mortgage rate, in other words, what people are paying on average, uh, has gone from two point nine percent. That's as low as it got. So yeah, wouldn't we? give our hen's teeth to get 2.9% today oh, yeah. on our mortgage, but you know, to um, a bit over five now, and then they expected to reach 6.4% mid next year. So about another eight months time. Yeah, That effectively means we've got hikes still going on for another eight months. So monetary policy is tightening still. by doing nothing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Which is yeah. what makes me so sceptical of what some of the bank economists say because they're seeing the same data and, and so on and yet they're not really acknowledging that things are getting tighter as each day passes. So that was one of the things in the Financial Stability Report. The other interesting thing in there, just another number and then I'll hand over to you, the average share of disposable income going to interest payments, so this is what households are paying interest on their mortgage, has gone from 9% two years ago to 18% next year. So in other words, you know, that's almost a tenth of your household income has gone that you had before. Yeah, but bear in mind that's a macro number. So that's basically saying another 10% of all New Zealand household income now is going to servicing debt. Hmm. Because the reality is there's a lot of people with no debt or very hmm. low levels of debt, you know, yeah. particularly retirees and stuff. Hmm. And if you look at first home buyers and maybe uh, younger buyers through to about 45, you know, a lot of these households are up over 50% now, right? Hmm. So, you know, the Reserve Bank reckons there's going to be more debt servicing stress. What do you make of that? Oh, absolutely. Look, anyone under probably, shit, I'm 50 and I've still got mortgage stress. Um, <laughs> anyone under 50 is, you know, having to face into that reality, right? You've had a massive spike in repayments and you've had to adjust for it uh, in terms of expenses or draining savings, right? And I think the saving grace probably in the last year or so is that most people have had some level of savings set aside that they have more than likely eaten into and uh, hopefully they've managed to adjust to it. Look, the other side of it is that a lot of people have also experienced uh, income growth, right, in terms of increases in salaries and stuff over the last year or two. So that's probably helping mitigate some of it. Mm. 
but it's real. There's a lot of people out there that are really stretched. And like, let's take it a step further, because the other, I think, thematic that came out of the report today, which we've discussed before, is just the financial stress in the agricultural sector. Right. Highly geared farmers, because a lot of these farmers at the moment, I forget the statistic, I think we've used it in the previous podcast but uh, a huge proportion of farms under the water at the moment right in terms of um, actually running at a loss because farm gate prices are down uh, particularly dairy um, but I think sheep and beef's not that strong either I think horticulture's probably struggling a bit forestry's down and uh, you know at the same time input costs are up whether that's labor fuel fertilizer or what is a massive part for you know more highly geared farms, uh, interest cost, mm. debt servicing. Mm. And, and the funny thing in the financial stability report is it says, hey, all our banks have got lots of capital, they're really stable, so although you're gonna have this significantly increasing number of businesses or farms and consumers in financial distress, the banks will look after them. Yep, will they? <laughs> well, they they kind of will, right? Yeah, yeah. They kind of will, and it would be irresponsible to suggest that they wouldn't. But well, well, it's in no one's interest to sell up a customer, right? It's not. No. And I think banks have sort of shown they've stood by customers, you know, for the last fifteen years through the GFC. Yes, there were a few properties sold up, but it was tiny in comparison to the number of people yeah. experiencing stress. So, you know, again, I sort of sidebar: always talk to your bank or via your broker to the bank if you're struggling because they'll do everything they can to help you through because it's not on their interest to have you go under. Right? I agree 100%. And you know, we've seen that a couple of times now that COVID was probably the best example mm. of it. Mm. They will help. Mm. Look, I think where it potentially does get more difficult is not so much the ones that are in genuine financial distress where the bank will literally sort of do everything that they can. I think where the problem will arise are those that are trying to do things and are very close to the line. You know, so for example, if you've got a business and you're trying to pour in a bit more capital to do something, the bank's gonna be a lot more reluctant mm -hmm. to, to sort of play in that space or is that you know, lend you the umbrella when it's sunny and take it away when it's <laughs> raining. <laughs> yeah, look, we've got tighter credit conditions. So mm -hmm. tighter credit conditions mean that where banks can say no, they're probably gonna be more likely to say no, right? Mm. But where someone's in genuine financial distress, that they're actually gonna help. Mm. They're gonna help, but they're not gonna give you more money. Mm. They're just gonna sort of try and I, help I, you. I suppose it. the point is, you know, credit conditions are tighter, which sort of means it's harder to get a loan, which means that, you know, if you wanna expand your business, for example, you're not gonna exactly. be able to borrow money. Therefore, that constrains investment, which constrains, you know, spending, which, you know, has this impact in terms of depressing the economy and therefore interest rates in part are doing their job and the economy will weaken and interest rates will fall. <laughs> yeah. And look, the other thing that I, I think, you know, so arguably more people have faced financial distress mm. than even the statistics would suggest, right? They're just eating into savings. So someone could have, for example, a $50,000 revolving credit completely paid off. Mm. And over the last year, that's been going up, mm. right? And they're at 45,000 now. There's only 5,000 left in their revolving credit. Mm. So they haven't 
they haven't actually materially shown financial distress, mm. but their behaviour suggests mm. that they're not I coping. suppose the point is the early warning signs, you know, greater use of revolving credit, greater use of personal lending, greater use of maybe not credit cards yet, but, you know, those signs are there. And I think in this financial stability report, they talk about some of the leading indicators as being high delinquencies for things like missing telco payments, missing yep. personal loan payments, often the mortgage is the last thing you have missed because you What get, should be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And so, you know, the signs are there. And it's sort of interesting. I mean, you know, play it back. Exactly what you'd expect to happen with the hike in interest rates, which is driving a weakening economy or a less active economy, is happening. And so we shouldn't be surprised that, you know, the market is pricing a not immaterial fall in interest rates in the next... 18 months or so, probably is more a matter of timing, you know, do things get worse faster? Actually, if you take out the surge in migration, things will be pretty dire right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. We're, we're sort of um, papering over the cracks in the economy mm. with a whole lot of low-skill immigration. Yeah. But that said, you know, that immigration has closed those gaps, as we talked about last week, with um, businesses looking for finding workers. The hardest thing now it's yeah. about you know, sales that we talked about. So, you know, I mean, it's fulfilling the roles that we desperately need Somewhat to bad. service in a bar or work on a dairy farm or whatever. But yeah, I mean, without migration, the economy would have weakened a lot faster, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and look, some of that immigration was really important, but this mm. is kind of this feast famine thing that we seem to constantly go through. I mean, how much immigration fraud's been going on in the last three to six months? Mm. Mm. Hey, one other thing I read in the Financial Stability Report, the Reserve Bank said that house prices have stabilised in spite of ongoing tight lending conditions and housing market activity has picked up in recent months. Um, they also say house prices fell 15% on average from the peak to the trough in March. So they're saying that the housing market troughed in March and has risen 3% since then. But recent gains are modest. Prices remain within sustainable levels. So I guess they're expressing a comfort and the current level of um, house prices. Would that be your reflection, the housing market's picked up in recent months? <laughs> Fair enough, I think we've been quite accurate on this. We called the bottom and... Mm. Um, I think it was our very first podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and, and it's largely following what we expected it to do. Where I think it's gonna be interesting is, um, I noticed Tony Alexander came out saying he's expecting house prices to go up 10% next year. Wow. Which is kind of interesting, right? So that, that surely would require a fall in interest rates for that to happen. Yeah, I would think so. Which is actually, as we talked about last week, the opposite of what's happened. You know, all the banks have put up one in you know, yeah. shorter term rates by a quarter percent roughly in the last week or two. Yeah, I think it's a big call. But you know, um, Tony's generally quite accurate on these sort of things. I guess what he's expecting to see is just increasing business and consumer confidence flowing through into the housing market, investors coming back in mm. with a lack of um, construction activity, right? Yeah, Plus yeah, ongoing yeah. immigration. Yeah. I guess he's just looking at those forces that will push house prices up because affordability is just not there, yeah, right? At yeah. these high interest yeah. rates. Well, I guess that's the point. The fall in house prices has pushed them below the cost of building a new house. There's a great BNZ report this week that sort of showed it cost $100,000 to $200,000 more to build a new house versus buy an existing one. What will naturally happen is construction will weaken um, and all house prices sort of rise as yeah. they come nearer to equilibrium, I guess. But yeah. uh, 
Yeah, so I, I can see sort of the, that dual, you know, because I don't think construction costs are going to fall. It's just the volume will fall, so the supply of houses will be. I think I think you'll up. find that construction costs will fall, but not in the hard goods, but maybe in labour costs because you'll right. have yeah. surplus labour. Yeah. Just remember when the market was really tight, anyone that could was pushing up their labour rates, and, mm. and that was really noticeable in the construction sector. Mm. Um, but you know, hey, look, the interesting thing in Australia is that Australia is back to peak prices again. Yeah, I read that today. Yeah, so yeah, New Zealand's about twelve percent off the peak. November 21, Australia's yeah. just surpassed the peak, so prices yeah. are the highest they've ever been in Australia. So what the heck's going on there? They've had OCR hikes, haven't they, too? Yeah, well, their rates are still a lot lower than ours. Right. So what's their OCR or whatever they, oh, they call it? Uh, to be honest, I don't know off the top of my head today. I think it's about 4.1, in fact. I know it's 4.1. <laughs> We're 5.5 in New Zealand. The, the US yeah. is 5.25 you know, to 5.5, so they're quite low relative to a few other markets, aren't they? Is yeah. that the reason why house prices have sort of kicked off? Well, immigration, they had oh. massive, I mean, all the things that I guess Tony's looking at and thinking about in the New Zealand context, you know, they've had massive immigration. Mm. Um, they haven't been able to keep up with uh, building activity. Interest rates are lower than here and mm. they've experienced high levels of inflation. They still haven't got inflation under control. So one of the interesting dynamics in, in Aussie, obviously, is they're still running at relatively high inflation, the interest rates are lower, mm. so arguably they're still at negative interest rates, right? Right, yeah. So and their inflation number, I think it was last week, was above expectation, whereas everywhere else in the world it seems to be coming in slightly below expectation. Now, the other interesting thing I saw about Australia this week was a comment that before the GFC, so I guess we're going back 15 years, banks were earning a return on equity, and so in other words, how much profit they make compared to how much money is invested, capital is invested of mm. 20% and, and it's near a 10 today. Uh, why 10 when New Zealand's sort of about 13 or 14? And why has that fallen? What's been the dynamic happening? Are just banks make less profitable or? Yeah, hey look, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I think historically Australian banks and extension through to New Zealand have been some of the most profitable banks in the world. We've got yeah. our own little market down here in the South Pacific, mm. and the incumbent banks have done very well out of that. They've had favorable regulatory environment, favorable governments. Um, mm. They've been allowed to consolidate and turn themselves into oligopolies. Mm. So all of those things drove superior returns. If you went overseas to Europe, and especially America at the moment, but if you went to Europe, banks have been operating at much lower Return on investment, right? Is that because more competition from more participants in the market? I, I think it's a combination of things. Some of it's regulatory. Yeah. You know, well, so would that be why Australia's return on equities are lower? Because there are, I mean, there are something like hundred institutions competing in the banking sector. Most of them are small, and then there are the big four who are all here in New well, Zealand. Too, well, the big, the big four, but you know, more recently, the, the emerging bank has been Macquarie. Yeah. Mm. So, so you've had what was traditionally an investment bank mm. uh, that's been involved in securitization, so has got the ability to raise large amounts of wholesale money, mm. sort of uh, branching out into retail banking. You, you've seen in the US banks trying to do the same sort of thing like Goldman Sachs. Mm. 
although they're pulling back out of retail now. Mm -hmm. But Macquarie's done it very, very well, and they've been chasing growth, right? And uh, competing pretty straight on with they the, the big banks. They do pretty much everything through mortgage advisors, don't they? Everything through mortgage advisors and digitally. Yeah. And you know, they've been, for example, with housing, they've been hoovering up market share over mm. the last two or three years very aggressively. Mm. So you um, think that's sort of had an influence on bank Well, there's, there's two things there, right? One is a, is a new competitor that's aggressive and has got a very low cost base. And a big balance sheet. So. And a big balance sheet, mm. which is, if we talk about in New Zealand context, that's generally what's always missing is mm. an aggressive competitor that's got a big balance sheet, right? Mm. And then the second thing is distribution, which is mortgage brokers. Mm. Um, so I think we're up over 70% now. Yeah. In Australia, market. it was just at actually 70% um, of all home loans go through mortgage brokers. Yeah. Um, interestingly, 20 years ago, it was 30%. So, you know, I guess that, that channel's taken, taken over. Actually, there was an interesting stat I read, and that was that banks in Australia spend over $4 billion paying mortgage brokers, whereas their entire branch network costs $3 billion to lend. If you sort of apply that thinking to New Zealand and what the Reserve Bank might look at in the Financial Stability Report, would the Reserve Bank have any concerns about the rise and rise of mortgage advisors and the reduced lending done directly by banks. I mean, it's obviously ending up on bank balance sheets still, but would that have any feed into any of the financial stability stuff or? I wouldn't think so. No, no. I mean, look, if you took a wider view of it and said, you know, we want increased competition mm. in the banking sector whilst having financial stability, so whilst mm. forcing the banks to hold larger amounts of capital and stuff, then arguably it's a good thing, right? Mm. It's mm. what keeps everyone yeah, it honest. Yeah, keeps everyone honest and so on. On the, on, the <laughs> on the lending side, there's a lot less competition on the deposit side. Though. Yeah, well, but, but maybe there's other things that will come out of the competition review that will help increase competition, as you say, on the deposit and transactional side. Like maybe. what? Well, maybe, well, who knows, right? But um, look, I, th I think with transactional banking, there's probably a lot of stuff happening globally. Because I've always felt, and I've said in these podcasts before, that I think payments is ultimately a global game. Mm. And I think with the big technology shifts that we're seeing at the moment, we're going to see... Um, we're going to see some big transformation in the payment space that will flow through into this market. So, so like what? An extension of Apple Pay. Mm. So, mm. so what Apple Pay is today, it's kind of fun, it's a little bit convenient, but I mm. think the next iterations that you see of some of this technology yeah. will be massive. But doesn't it really only impact banks when they start to lose that free float of idle money sitting in transaction accounts? You know, $40 billion today, which is yeah. $2 billion of revenue to the banks. Um, will that start to flow to the potential new entrant or not? I mean, it's a trust game, right? So if I trust that, Apple versus how, do I trust Apple or do I trust ANZ? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to be a, a sort of a dramatic revolution. These things will happen slowly over It'll time. Be a but slow tide sort of thing. Yeah. It, it will be. But, you know, look, if you look at the neobanks, particularly in Europe, and we've talked about Starling before, mm. they've had quite good success because whereas when interest rates were really, really low, it was difficult for them to generate enough income to sustain their proposition, mm. the reality is in this higher rate environment, mm. these neobanks are actually managing to make money mm. off So why don't banking. some of these investors with big dollars come to New Zealand, you know, like you say Macquarie's in Australia, um, you know, New Zealand banks make 10 billion pre-tax, isn't that a big enough profit pool to come and attack? Well, yeah, but you're not gonna, I mean, look, 
It's like anything, right? I mean, how much market share can you grab and how quickly it's, yeah. and it's a very expensive exercise. So it's got to be in very deep pockets to build a distribution network or a brand, I suppose, as much. And as you've got to have a long-term perspective, yeah. right? It's like, it's going to take years. I think if you look at any bank that's come into the New Zealand market historically, and I always think back to, what was it, Superbank? Yeah, Superbank, A&P Bank were the two that came, spent 40 million and left with their tails between their legs. You know, 40 million bucks lost inside a year or two, right? Yeah. So I guess they've demonstrated how hard it is, yeah. I think if, look, if there was one market that you could come into, it's it's accessing the broker network, right? Mm. Because mm. that's what Macquarie's done. But what Macquarie's got the benefit of is a very established brand in Australia, a very mm. trusted brand. Mm. So it was also able to build out a very mm. significant retail and transactional mm. business at the same Squirrel time. Bank JV. It <laughs> <laughs> ain't happening anytime soon, okay, right? Okay. But you heard it from the man. Yeah, I mean, it, Parallels to the supermarket industry, you know, it's like this week the news was Supi, I think it was called, went into administration. So, you know, trying to take on the big guys and gone burger. Um, I guess that says something about how hard it is to compete with large oligopolies and, you know. In a small market. And I guess the slow scaling. Yeah. Um, You know, you like think about petrol, you have had the likes of Goal and uh, NPD and Gasoline Alley and you know two or three others that have just gradually established that foothold, haven't they? But, but they've been at it for ten or fifteen years. I suppose that's the point. Long term, deep deep pockets, or accept that you're not going to go from nothing to ten percent. And profit. ideally, high margins, right? So, yeah. well, the margin in petrols and not petrol, it's in coffee and <laughs> yeah, bags of chips and that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, for so, for um, a station that's got you know all service. of full service um, but if you think about supermarkets low margin very high turnover mm. so you have to be at scale to make mm. money so in Australia you've had the likes of Aldi coming from Europe yeah. and you know making quite a difference there but how many times their size five times is it yeah so the way you think about it is that it's either it's a trade buyer someone comes in and says I want to be in New Zealand I'm gonna buy an incumbent now that works when there's four or five of them. Mm. It doesn't work when there's only two, if mm. you take the supermarket mm. trade, for example. You can't buy an incumbent, so the mm. only way you're gonna come in is if you go, okay, we're gonna invest a lot of money mm. and just gradually grow market mm. share. Well, so I suppose if you think about supermarkets, if you were truly serious about creating more competition, you would legislate for the breakup of those big brands. So Foursquare yep. and Pack and Save and New World will be separated off. Yeah. Someone were coming and buying an existing distribution network, let's say you bought Foursquare and then you scaled it, right? Mm. You know, that's the only way you're gonna change things. Well and that's the way the Americans do stuff, right? Right. Antitrust sort of antitrust stuff, stuff right? So yeah. I mean the Americans have always been sort of kind of good at this. Generally things have to be pretty massive and powerful before they yeah. do it. Yeah. But that's the idea yeah. is our force competition okay. by So hey, we've solved the the competition problems. <laughs> in uh, supermarkets, sort of gas and so on, building supplies we haven't really got into. Two tangents today. And I think Squirrel should work on the banking one somehow, JB. But uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we've covered a lot of ground there, man, today. (laughs) But uh, final word? I think we're, we're on the right track. Unfortunately, the economy is slowing down and I think, you know, we're in for a tough 12 months. The good news, at least for borrowers, is that 
I'm sticking to my view that I reckon we're going to see some level of rate reductions by the middle of next year. Yeah, I'm in that camp too. Um, all the signs are there. It's just patience to see these quite negative outcomes, which obviously have human impacts when people are losing or not getting jobs. So, yeah. you know, bear that in mind. Um, but, you know, I'm sort of with you on that. But the Reserve Bank has indicated housing prices to bottom. Tony, if he's up 10%, the Reserve Bank's probably not at that level. We're, we're probably somewhere in the middle, I suspect, in thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, hey, we better wrap it up there. That's awesome. us for another week. Catch you later. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product. Any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of Squirrel. As always, we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action.